Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Washington to speak with Ben Mahich of Locked On Wizards about the season-ending injury to Thomas Bryant and how Russell Westbrook has looked in the beginning of his Wizards career. We go to Phoenix to talk with Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns about DeAndre Ayton's slow start and the fact that the Suns are sitting on top of the Western Conference. And then lastly, we go to Indiana to speak with Tony East of Locked On Pacers about the COVID issues across the NBA, as well as the start from the Indiana Pacers and the all-star level play of Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. The NBA, we're heading into week four of the league. Uh, we're starting to see some things normalized, but still some wacky results right across the league. We have uh, some COVID issues hitting in the last couple of days as well, uh, and some surprise performances. So we're going to touch on a few of those in today's show. So let's get to it. Now I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Wizards podcast, Ben Mehich, is here with me. Ben, some bad news over the last few hours with uh, Thomas Bryant being ruled uh, out for the season with an ACL tear in his left knee. He'd been putting up some pretty good numbers for this team, uh, entrenched as their starting center. What does this do for the squad? Obviously, Robin Lopez and Mo Wagner will be the guys that take on the bulk of those minutes at center now. But how big of a blow is this for Washington? I mean, I think you just answered the question, right? Robin Lopez and Mo Wagner are taking on the bulk of the minutes, which means that effectively the Wizards' season, and I hate to say it, is probably over. I mean, the, the depth of the team wasn't very good to begin with, and the the season really hinged upon them staying healthy. And um, Thomas Bryant hasn't really been able to do that throughout the course of his career through no fault of his own. He's just had some bad luck. Um, and with this injury, they really don't have any sort of adequate replacement. I mean, Mo Wagner has, has shown to be a somewhat reliable center, but he tends to get in foul trouble and, and he just hasn't gotten enough minutes, I think, to really earn that spot. And Robin Lopez has, has shown to, um, I, I don't think he's as productive nor as um, as healthy and, and, and as in shape, I think, as they would have hoped um, coming into the season. So I think they're, they're without an adequate replacement on the roster. They might seek a free agent or a trade or something, but um, without many much talent on the team, I'm just not sure how they're going to overcome this sort of injury. Yeah, it's not like they were off to a great start anyway. Like the, the Wizards had struggled. They had what won just the two games, and one of those was against one of the most broken teams in the league, and that is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then they had that one-point win against the Nets, but they've lost every other game so far this year. Russell Westbrook is... I don't, I don't even know how best to, to phrase how Russell Westbrook's playing. Um, below par. Um, the, the fit has been a little bit weird. Um, it's it, it feels like even that play-in game is a little bit out of reach. But I do want to t- touch on Westbrook with you. How has his first yeah, 10 games in Washington, how has it gone from a, uh, from a, a perspective of, of viewing it from the outside, I guess, of watching it and the fit there? Because you can't talk of you know, the culture and what he's doing with teammates. But how has, it, how has Westbrook, to you, you know, meshed in these first 10 games? He's looked injured. And, and I think um, you know, he sat out. Um, last game with a thigh injury, and I think he's probably played with that throughout the season. 
Um, he's very rarely attacked a basket. He scored 135 points on 135 baskets. It's not like Russell Westbrook has a reputation of being this hyper-efficient player as is, but he's been even less efficient than anybody expected. He shot mostly mid-range jump shots, um, has shown little explosion. I'm not sure he has a dunk this entire season. And they've sat him on back-to-back, so I, I think... The fit on the court hasn't been that bad. Um, he's been a lot better of a distributor than I think they even expected. But, um, yeah, I mean, his shot selection has been poor. And just in general, he looks less explosive. So um, definitely not exactly what they expected from Russell Westbrook so far. Do you think some of the shot selection issue is the injury? Because last year he, I won't say figured it out, but he, in that second half of the season when the, the uh, Rockets went small, like he just barely took threes. I think he had an 8% three-point attempt rate. And he was just taking everything at the bucket, and his two-point percentage was at the highest it had been in years. And he was converting things really, really well. Um, do you think that this quad slash knee slash whatever injury that he's dealing with is leading him to not be able to attack the basket as much, therefore not take those high percentage looks? And then he's falling back into old habits of taking shots, which are bad for almost any player in basketball, but for someone who can't shoot, they are just horrific shots for the flow of the offense. Yeah, I think it's probably a mix of the injuries he's been dealing with and the fact that he's 32 years old and he's not as explosive as he was when he was his MVP self. So when when you add those two factors, you obviously get a player who's playing out of his element. Like you said, he's been taking mostly jump shots. He's never been a great jump shooter, and, and you're really seeing that. Um, impact his game and and he also dislocated his finger Um, so he's been dealing with a multitude of injuries this year which is relatively ironic because the Wizards owner Ted Leonsis kind of left the parting shot to John Wall when they traded him and tweeted out they're getting a player who's very durable and high character and Russell Westbrook and the high character thing I have obviously no issue with he's been fantastic off the court but the durability um, aspect of it has been an issue because they haven't found much of a rhythm on the court he's sat back to backs and when he has played he's played through injury so um, not exactly the sort of player that they expected to get what, on a positive note, uh, well, maybe it's a positive note. Let's see how you feel about it. Uh, rookie Denny Avdia, who has been starting all season, uh, was playing some pretty big minutes early on. And then when uh, everyone returned, when Rui Hachimura returned, he slide, he slid into the Isaac Bonga role of starting and playing only 15 minutes a night, which is a pretty weird decision, but a, almost not, not as weird as Troy Brown not playing at all. But how have you made, uh, what have you made of uh, Avdia's beginning to his NBA career? Yeah, if you told me that Denny Avdia was going to be the best two-point shooter on this team, the team that employs Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans, I probably would have thought you were lying, but that's what he's been this year. Coming into the league uh, from Maccabi Tel Aviv, he was kind of marketed and and described as a, as a bad shooter, and his percentages really did show that he struggled, but... His, his stroke and, and his form was never that bad, and it's really translated to him being a really successful shooter so far. It's still very early in the season, of course, but he had three straight threes yesterday. He kept the Wizards in the game late down the stretch, and when it looked like they were out of it, um, he brought them back against the against the uh, Miami Heat, and, and they lost within four. And I think he's shown that he's a lot more athletic than advertised. Um, his, his distribution and the way his court vision is, is far exceeds uh, many 20-year-olds especially 20-year-olds with his size. So um, I think he's a player that could potentially be a sneaky sort of uh, player down the line, and I think he's going to be one of their most valuable players in, in the not-too-distant future. And honestly, that's what he's already become. And it's uh, kind of a shame that they're relying on him at this level, but he's shown that you know he's not going to back down, and he's played at a much higher level and a consistent level than most 20-year-olds, I think, in the NBA. 
Is there any frustration with the way that Brooks has used him and Troy Brown, who are the two names that really stand out to me in terms of Brown, like literally being out of the rotation and then Avdia moving into this, you know, starter in name only type role where he plays you know, seven minutes a half pretty much and then that's it. Is there frustration in, especially after what Avdia has shown and Brown showed it in the bubble last year and he's been around for a few years, but obviously seems to not be a Scott Brooks favorite. Is there any frustration building there? There's no frustration in terms of have they have they used any Abdiya just because he's earned that spot. I mean, he's played better than any of the competition that he has in the roster. But um, in terms of Troy Brown, I've been immensely frustrated with how Scott Brooks has used him throughout the course of his career. It's kind of reminiscent of how he used Tomas Sadoransky before he ultimately ended up in Chicago. He kind of refused to use Sadoransky as a point guard, even though that's the position he played. Um, his best attributes are that of a distributing guard. He's 6'7". He has a ton of attributes, I think, that can lend themselves to, to him becoming a successful NBA player but Scott Brooks for whatever reason just dislikes playing him at that position and has gone to the levels of playing Russell Westbrook, Howell Neto and if Smith at the same time and, and that's how much he seems to despise playing Troy Brown. He's played three small guard lineups uh, even though the Wizards have been historically one of the worst defensive teams ever this year. Um, I'm not sure what Troy Brown did to deserve that or, or if he struggled in practice or what have you but um, with Troy Brown, Jerome Robinson, Eastock Bonga and even Garrison Matthews, these players have never really given a defined role and when you're that that age um, with not much experience Experience and you don't really know what to expect. It's hard to really develop in, in today's NBA, and that's unfortunately what what these players have dealt with. I think that's a real problem because you know, we know what Ish Smith is like. He's thirty plus. He's a career backup point guard, and that's fine. You've got another backup point guard there in Hal Neto. Bradley Beal can use you know, run as point guard. Troy Brown can run as point guard. But when you're a team that is two and whatever they are now, two and seven from well, two and eight. Um, then maybe trying to develop some of these guys that you do have as younger, like guys like Arison Matthews, like you mentioned, who has shown some real flashes when he's been out on the court. It would seem to be the uh, the, the way that you should be going, but that is, uh, that's not what's happening. Brooks may be on the hot seat, but Ben, if he is, and whatever else happens in Washington, you'll have it covered for us all over on Locked On Wizards. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Of course, Ash. Thanks so much for having me on. Built Bar is back. The best tasting protein bar ever is back in your lives with six brand new flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar sear, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp joins the already loaded roster with the 12 OG flavors, including coconut almond, raspberry, toffee almond, and coconut. These bars, they taste just like a candy bar, not like those standard protein bars that you might find that taste like something that you'd find in a child's sandpit. These taste just like a candy bar, the best tasting protein bar you will ever find, covered in 100% chocolate and they're also great for you. They help you lose or maintain your current weight. Great if you're looking to be a health-conscious person. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and great for a keto diet. The new Cookies and Cream Bar, 17 grams of protein and just 130 calories with 4 grams of sugar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. The promo code is LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. 2020 is mercifully over, and it's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. And if you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. Let's bring in the host of the Locked On Suns podcast, Brendan Clean, is here with me. Brendan, how does it feel for the Suns to go from this team that struggled for so long to being a team that I guess people just expect to win now? It's... Very odd as somebody who followed it for such a long time when there was uh, not much winning to speak of and a lot of focus on the development of players who just didn't pan out. It's 
Mostly what surprises me, though, is, is how quickly it's been able to turn around. You just don't see rebuilds move from the phase they were just in two, three years ago where they couldn't put two wins together to now uh, what looks like so far at seven and three, a pretty uh, surefire playoff competitor. Yeah, look, you'd have to say the playoffs are, well, not guaranteed, but they're pretty close. They sit atop the Western Conference at the time we're recording this, equal with the Lakers on seven and three. And as I said, like, you know, we can go through and and I'll go through here with you and, and discuss some things that are frustrating or, or disappointing, but that they don't actually seem to matter all that much because the Suns just go out and they take care of business. Just knocked off the Pacers team by eight uh, on Saturday. You beat the Raptors by eight. You're knocking off the Nuggets. Like, these aren't easy wins. The the, the Jazz, you know, destroying the Pelicans. They've had a few uh, questionable losses. The Pistons won number one there. The the early one against the Kings, yeah, not a great one, but they just go out and take care of business. And this is with, Brendan, players like DeAndre Ayton, like, performing at 60% of the level they have in the past, perhaps. And maybe that is just the role that someone like that needs to have on a team that has upgraded in in so many areas. Um, These concerns, and I'll start with Aiton because he has been disappointing. Like the scoring is way down. He's not really aggressive. He's not attacking the basket. He's not, I know he's not doing the things that we thought to be this guaranteed 20 and 10 player. Um, Do you agree with that, first of all? And secondly, is it a concern? His impact has has definitely been predominantly on defense this year and part of that I think is an understanding that that's what they needed out of him right they they play small this year even compared to last year and you know the center position is is mostly going to be relied upon for that Uh, but you know that said I do think it's a little bit of of a cause for concern um, because while everybody on this roster is sort of feeling things out, a lot of what you just said, to be honest, could be stated about Devin Booker even, uh, a player who whose scoring has also gone down and whose oh. efficiency has has gone down a bit as well. Um, that indicates that, the, you know, everybody's, you know, nobody's um, saved from this adjustment process, but Aiton is a, is a unique even within that where he is is clearly not sort of figured out yet in his third season how to in what way is he going to be able to create offense for whether that's himself, his teammates, um, putting teammates in better position? There are centers in the league who still do that. And when he was drafted, he was thought of as a guy who would be one of those. And, you know, we're getting to the point where an extension and things like that are going to be talked about. Uh, How does he fit into a playoff situation? All of that. And we just still don't have a lot of answers on, on his overall game. Devin Booker is an interesting one because on the surface, he's averaging 22 points, almost five assists, shooting 48% from the field. Like they're all pretty good numbers. But in comparison to where he has been in the past, we're seeing his assist numbers drop down because we're getting a lot more, obviously, Chris Paul handling the ball. His free throw numbers are curiously low, 78%. And I have a theory, and this is backed up by nothing, that free throw percentage and significant single season free throw dips are often the cause of some level of... I wouldn't say unhappiness, but a a mental disturbance in what the, the norm is for that player. And whether that is just the, the complete change of you don't have the ball in your hands 100% of the time that's you know, making Booker a little bit off or like you know, putting that extra stress on like, I've, I've got to make sure I get my points at the line here and those shots not falling down. I don't know. This, that's all just complete speculation, but that that's not there. The assist numbers aren't there. He's turning it over at a really high rate, although all this stuff has started to normalize recently. What do you think is the is the issue here with Booker? Is it just purely, hey, you are now playing with instead of playing with Isaiah Kane and you are playing alongside Chris Paul? 
It's probably a mix of all of those things. And that, that might sound like a cop out, but there is a little bit of truth in all of it. You know, it's, it would be, you know, a little silly to forget that last year he did also have Ricky Rubio, which was sort of a, a phasing in of how to play with a real point guard. Although last year, like, you know, he was still dominating the ball quite a bit. His usage really didn't dip all that much um, from the, the prior years. It was still among the highest in the NBA for his position. So this year, yeah, you know, it's it's not just playing with the point guard, but it's playing with the guy like Chris Paul who wants to slow things down, be a little bit more methodical, uh, have his sort of fingerprint on every possession in a way that really nobody else that Booker's played with, even dating back to Eric Bledsoe, who was the point guard when he came into the league, really that's not how any of those guys have played. Paul is unique really amongst the entire league in that regard, right? So they haven't been getting him transition buckets is one thing that that kind of flies under the radar the way that he normally has Uh, he's isolating a lot which you would think wouldn't be happening with how much offensive talent they've added since the beginning of his career and yeah the the turnovers to me are the one big thing that uh, he a lot of it is just mistakes and at a certain point the adjustment chemistry development excuse early on is isn't going to fly anymore and he just needs to clean up some of those mistakes. You know, he's he's admitted as much, but, you know, you got to start to see it. He's had some games recently where he's had one or two. Last night as a team, the Suns only had three turnovers. Um, but that that's going to have to be cleaned up for him to just be a more efficient possession-to-possession player. Well, I don't want to be negative the whole time because this is, again, the top team in the Western Conference. So let's talk positive. At the beginning of the season, I said that McCall Bridges was probably a top-five defensive player in the NBA. Um, how do you reckon that statement's uh, looking at this point? I said recently on a Locked On Sun show that I can't think of three wing defenders better than him. You know, it's uh, he, he has escalated his his team defense to another level this year, in particular uh, with Kelly Oubre leaving. They lost a little bit of that athleticism, just turnover creation, and Bridges has has taken that that on, blocking more shots. He had I think like six blocks in the first couple games the Suns played, and you know, continues to grow his offensive game as well. So he's looking like a top 50 or so player in the league right now, better than DeAndre Ayton, um, really the third best player on this team so far. And to have that sort of presence on the wing wasn't something I necessarily expected. And it's been a massive reason why they've been able to, like we just said, overcome some of the deficiencies from their normal star players and, and just pile up wins. I think making that statement, yeah, better than DeAndre Ayton, I don't think anyone can really argue with that at this point. He's been awesome. He had these these massive offensive games as well, which again comes out of nowhere. The shooting, which was a real feature of his in college and disappeared at the beginning of his NBA career, is back and he's shooting at a, a huge percentage. He is a real weapon on both ends of the court and he's been absolutely, uh, absolutely massive. But you know, people who listen to me on my podcast regularly will know that I'm not going to let you get away without a question about Cameron Payne because... Um, yeah, having a capable backup point guard play or capable point guard play for 48 minutes a night is the key to being a, a really good NBA team. And Payne, a guy that was basically out of the league, he is doing that. And I, I, I don't think that I could praise him enough for what he's been able to do this season. But from a Suns fan's perspective, how important has Cameron Payne been to just giving that second unit you know, really much needed stability? Out with a left ankle sprain right now, so hopefully that doesn't continue. He did miss the Pacers game, but uh, prior to that was just, I mean, not only you look at you know what he did from a statistical standpoint, the craft he has around the basket, the improvement on his jump shot, the hustle plays and defense that he consistently contributes, um, 
but what he did to the construction of the rotation was was really the most maybe the most important part in my opinion because uh, that was a big question for this team. They didn't really find another point guard, which just put a lot of pressure on this to happen, to have the pain that we saw in the bubble when the Suns went 8-0. Kind of they, they needed that because they didn't have anyone else. You know, They had Etwan Moore, who we thought might have to be pressed into action as some sort of backup playmaker, or are they going to have to you know, stagger Booker and Paul to an, a ridiculous degree. Uh, they haven't had to do any of that because Payne has capably and, and even better than capably handled the offense on the in the minutes when Paul's not on the floor. He fits well with Booker. He fits well with these wings getting up and down the floor. And he's good enough defensively that they don't really have to adjust much when he's on the court. So he's been exactly what they've needed. And he's he's honestly contributed directly to wins on several occasions the second Kings game in the first weekend of the season he had 10 assists in 16 minutes against the uh, uh, Raptors like he has really really performed at a high level all year he has he's been awesome Brendan you've been awesome thanks for coming on Locked On NBA and discussing the Suns and if they want to hear more about the Phoenix Suns they can hear Brendan talking about them over on the Locked On Suns podcast Brendan thank you thank you the NFL playoffs we're, we're here the NBA we're here there are games on you know well, you know sports, you know how to win on sports, and if you are looking to do that, there's only one place that has you covered, and there's only one place that we trust, and that is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus. Why don't you put all this knowledge that's swimming around in your brain to the test and show everyone just how much you know about your favorite sport. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action, and don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, let's talk to Tony East of the Indiana Pacers show, the Locked On Pacers podcast. That's what I'm trying to get out. Tony, the Indiana Pacers, they are off to a great start under new coach Nate Bjorkren, sitting at 6-3 and three at the, as we record this. Um... What's been the biggest change this season versus last season? The biggest change is all the coach, right? Like you said, they have 13 of the same guys, basically. They're top 13 guys from last year back. So the only thing that was going to change is, is style and a little bit of uh, improvement in health. And they actually haven't really had an improvement in health because TJ Warren's been out for so long. But all the depots looked healthier and better. And they have a new coach who has changed their system on both ends of the floor to one that caters much better to their new team style. They're basically only shooting – layups and threes with a few mid-rangers in between and they're really aggressive on the ball on defense so they're getting out in transitional on it it, it it really caters well to the players they have and it's working yeah look it, it is it is working they are and they're doing this without a guy that in the bubble was one of the best players in the bubble and tj warren who had that plantar fasciitis issue to begin the season and now has a stress fracture in his foot we have no idea well i have no idea when he's coming back tony do you know when we're going to be getting tj warren back not sure. They He had his surgery a week ago Tuesday, so five days ago that I'm talking to you right now. But uh, the, the Nate Bjorkman has specified that they have a plan for his rehab, uh, and it, it, you know, a diet plan, a, a workout plan, and everything. But uh, they have not given a specific timetable. I'm imagining, though, it's going to be uh, quite a while. So we'll see. The You, know, you talk about the coach being there and changing a lot of the things they're doing, we knew that there'd be more of a focus on three-point shooting. That's obviously been the case uh, so far. But there's other factors that are playing into that, and whether that's coach-driven or not, that uh, that's you know, up in the air, I guess. But having Victor Oladipo look a little bit more like Victor Oladipo versus, 
you know, whatever we saw last year from Victor Oladipo has been huge. His shooting has improved, and he looks like he's settling into his role a little bit more now. Absolutely, yeah. He uh, he looks maybe not the player of old is always a stretch to say for a guy coming off a big injury, but nineteen point nine points per game as I'm talking to you on. 42.4, 39.7, and uh, 72.7 splits. So pretty good. But the thing is, like, he just had a monster dunk uh, against the Suns last night. He's actually blowing by guys on curls. His three-point pull-up jumper looks confident. I don't expect him to continue to shoot almost 40% from three, but I think he will have an improved three-point shot. It's all he was able to work on while he was rehabbing. So I think his improvement from three is legit, and he finally has some of the explosiveness and burst back that he had pre-injury so he's still you know below the below the level he was at in 2017-18 but he's close to his 2018-19 level and he was still an all-star that season so to have that level of guy back and have him being efficient being able to you know he's averaging six rebounds a game hit the glass hard run and transition make some nice passes he just looks way more crisp than he did last year and they have another really strong punch in the starting five because of it yeah, Oladipo getting to that level. We're getting your better rim protection from Miles Turner, but I don't think any of this is going the way that it's going if it wasn't for the player who's starting at point guard, who honestly, with how he's playing at the moment, is an all-NBA caliber point guard. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be an all-NBA player or get named to an all-star team or anything like that, but Malcolm Brogdon has been amazing. He's averaging 23 points a game. He's shooting almost at 50-40-90. He's at 49.7, 47.5, and 89.3. He's generating turnovers. He had 1.8 steals per game, big assist numbers. Is it him or is it DeMontis Sabonis who's been the team's best player? It's Brogdon. It, it, no question to me it's Brogdon. I mean, Sabonis has been incredible. Like, he just had 28 and 22, I think, last night. I, I'm not trying. I'm not answering Brogdon so strongly to belittle Sabonis' play, to be clear. They've both been ridiculous. The Pacers are near the top of the East because they've both been ridiculously good. But Brogdon, you know, the defense has been better. You just mentioned the steals. He's been really good at the ball pressure. He did an awesome job on Devin Booker just last night. He's been able to do it for 37 minutes a game. So they always have quality, you know, a point of attack defense from him. Uh, and then translating that to the other end, which, it, look, he's not going to sustain the three-point shooting he's had so far this year. But He's been a 40% guy in the past. He's been 39% or better every year except for his first season with the Pacers. So if he's even a 40% guy on the volume he's at right now, almost seven attempts a game, plus they're allowing him to drive, run a lot of two-man actions with Sabonis. The assists are still there from last year because his usage is really high. The fact that he's been able to run this offense so well uh, under Bjorker and, and combine that with hitting threes in defense, just no doubt to me he's been the, the team's best player uh, if you, you know, if you like advanced metrics, his offensive box plus minus right now is six point one, which is ridiculous. His career hot before this year was two point three, so he's just he's just doing everything like creating in the pick and roll, hitting the threes, uh, being the through man for some passes, defending the other team's best ball handler, who uh, whoever it is, one through three. Like no doubt to me, he's been the team's best player in the engine, despite how good Sabonis has been. I, I think that should tell you how good Brogdon's been is that he's been better than a guy who's got a double double every game. One last thing before I let you go, Tony, and it's not really related to the paces, but you know, you're on here, you do you know, look at the NBA as a whole, and as we're recording this, a few minutes before we record this, the news came out that the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics game for today has been postponed, so I, th I think it is important that we that we touch on that. Of course, the Sixers played game uh, a game yesterday with you know, a real skeleton crew. Dallas is missing about four players as well. 
Um, I, th- I think it just is important that we that we touch on yeah that fact that we did ha- do have another game postponed today, and yeah the. <sighs> There are a lot of people calling for an NBA season to be put on hiatus, you know, to cancel the season. I don't think that the NBA is going to be going down that path or even any sort of temporary pause. But what do you make of this? And it's really it's really flared up over the last you know, four to five days. How, how risky do you think this season is of continuing the way that it is? Yeah, it's hard to compare to other sports, which is something I see often when it's you know, compared to the MLB or soccer or or the NFL, because all those sports are outdoor sports, whereas basketball is an indoor sport and the nature of the way they travel there, the the four games a week, three games a week makes it really hard for the NBA to stack up with other sports in terms of the way you talk about how it affects the sport. I agree with you that I do not think there'll be any pause to the season or anything like that because they intentionally structured it in this way where they've only released half the schedule, right? So, the, the idea was, you know, they have this all-star break March 5th, 10th. They can alter the back half of the schedule if there are postponements. Chris Mannix, I think it was today from Sports Illustrated, reported something to the effect of the NBA kind of thought that January would be bad uh, in terms of a public health standpoint right after holidays, lots of travel, vaccines still rolling out, right? They were kind of ready for this, maybe not necessarily postponements of games due to contract tracing and players testing positive, but they – they were prepared, and even if their rules are probably not good enough for player safety or general COVID safety, uh, from a general public health standpoint, the players have signed off on it. And given what you know, what's going on right now with the league, I would say that they're probably in one of the worst parts they'll ever be in. You know, the post-Christmas kind of rollout of of cases and tracing. I don't know that it's the worst part, but I'm guessing it, it could be. So, you know, I think as they get through this part and we see how many postponements there really are, maybe it gets worse, but maybe they can just reschedule some of these games in the back half and roll on. I don't know that. I'm just, that's what I foresee happening. Yeah, I can see that being being the case as well, is that they understand that at some point towards the, the middle to back half of the season, there's going to be an ability to get vaccinations in as well. And they are... You said yeah, that they don't expect postponements for con- contact tracing. I reckon they did. I-, I think that they would have had that idea that there would be games postponed. We've had two of those already, and they would have had that you know, sort of baked into. You know, and I don't know what their number is. Whether they said you know we'll be happy if there's ten postponements or w- whatever it is, but they right. they had that sort of stuff baked in already. And there is no word of them having any sort of uh, pause or shutdown or anything like that uh, for the season. It, it doesn't look great, and, and there's a lot of doom being spread around. But uh, as I think it was Bobby Marks that tweeted today, like there was 20 teams that have no no cases, no contract tracing, nothing going on with them, and then another four or five who had like only one issue. So it is concentrated in four or five teams, and that's that's not great, obviously, but. The vast majority is going. I think, as the NBA would have hoped, uh, we'd like the NBA to come out and have some sort of statement on. It. I think that would be absolutely that, that would be helpful to say, "Hey, this is not good, or this is expected, and this is what we plan for, and, and what the plan is from here." That would be awesome to be able to hear that. And by the time you listen to this show, maybe the NBA has come out and done that, but they haven't done that at this point. But it is something that is uh, worth mentioning. So, Tony, thank you for giving me your thoughts on that. Of course, you'll have all of the Pacers news as they continue to. Um, really put the NBA to task over there or the whole league really put on notice because of how the paces are, are performing and the play of a couple of players who are really ascending uh, to that uh, yeah, close to superstar level in Brogdon and Sabonis. You'll have it all for us on Locked On Paces. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Appreciate it, Josh. 
And that does it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And you can go leave us that five-star review. It's a great way of helping out the show. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. And make sure you're never missing missing an episode of your favorite Locked On NBA show for all of the teams right across the league and right across other sports. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.